0: Chapter Seventeen of The Pink Shop. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Pink Shop by Fergus Hume. Chapter Seventeen What Audrey Overheard the two young people remained alone looking at one another and feeling quite aghast at the position in which they now found themselves they had not expected sir joseph's appearance much less that he would behave in so brutal a manner moreover he had repelled the hinted accusation so calmly and had admitted so freely that he had been in walpole lane that both audrey and ralph felt certain he was completely innocent Certainly, they had not directly accused him of committing the crime. The girl especially would have been horrified at the mere idea, but Sir Joseph had taken what they said to mean that they had suspected him, and so had revenged himself in the cruel way he had done. The bang of the door startled both from the momentary state of stupor into which the unexpected behavior of Branwyn had plunged them. Audrey, with a white face and startled eyes, looked at her lover. What is to be done now, she said in a low voice. You must drive back home at once, said Ralph, determinedly. She shook her head. It is useless. My father will go straight home and give orders that I am not to be admitted. Oh, that is impossible. Think of the scandal. Papa does not mind the scandal. Already he has shown how far he is prepared to go by having me watched by Ranger. Oh, she clenched her hand. Think of the disgrace of it all. Then you must stay the night at some hotel. I cannot, I have no baggage. What hotel would take me in with no baggage? I have very little money, too, and only the clothes I stand up in. Oh, the money doesn't matter, my darling. I can provide you with what you require, said Ralph hastily, then muttered through his teeth. But it is a confoundly awkward situation in any case. Your father is a brute. He is what he has always been, said Audrey with a tired sigh, for the late conversation had quite broken her up. A man who has always had his own way. There is only one thing to be done. And she rose. What is that, said Shaw, hopefully. I must go to the pink shop and throw myself on the mercy of my aunt. Ralph brightened. You clever darling to think of that, he said, looking at his watch. It's half past ten o'clock. I wonder if she will be still up. I dare say. If not, we can rouse her. Come, Ralph, she pulled down her veil to hide a very white face. Let us go at once. Oh, I do hope that my father will say nothing of my being here to anyone. I now see how rash I have been. It's terrible. Darling, I really don't think your father will say anything. For very shame he cannot. He will account for your absence by saying that you refused to obey him with regard to this marriage with Ambers, and that he turned you out. Everyone who knows what an animal he is will believe this version. I am quite sure that your visit here will never be known. Thus comforted, and seeing the common-sense view taken by Shaw, Audrey went down the stairs with her lover, and they passed out of the great block of buildings and through the gardens. The porter was not visible, and as Audrey wore such a thick feel, it was not likely that he would be able to recognize her on any future occasion. In Fleet Street, the barrister procured a cab, and they drove westward in silence. The whole thing seemed like a nightmare, and Audrey shivered like a leaf. It was terrible to think that she had no home. If Madame Coralie refused to take her in, heaven only knew what she could do. But she had every hope that her aunt would stand by her at this crisis, particularly as she seemed to hate Sir Joseph. Audrey, darling, I think we must get married, said Ralph, after a long silence. Things can't go on in this way. But your career, said Audrey faintly, never mind my career. Your father has deserted you, so you must become my wife, in order that I may have the right to protect you. Madame Coralie can keep you with her until we can arrange matters. But if Mrs. Mellop comes to hear of... When you are my wife, no one will dare to say a word, said Ralph, decidedly. If anyone does, he or she will have to reckon with me. Besides, as I told you before, your father, brutal as he is, will not be such a fool as to soil the name of his own daughter. Popularity is the breath of his nostrils, and people would cry out on him if he talked of your visit to me. Yes, Audrey felt cheered when Ralph talked in this way. I think you're right, but I do hope my aunt will take me in. From what you told me of the interview, I think she will, dear. She seems to hate Sir Joseph in a very healthy manner. Audrey, I really don't know how you came to have such a father. I don't believe that you are his daughter. There must be some mistake. I wish I were anyone else's daughter indeed, said the girl, sighing. You will soon be my wife, so that will settle everything, said Ralph as the cab turned into Walpole Lane. Here we are, dearest. There is a light in the upstairs window, so Madame Coralie has not yet retired. Having dismissed the cab, Shaw rang the bell, and shortly Badoura appeared to open the door and to look with astonishment at the pair. Will you tell Madame Coralie that Miss Branwen wishes to see her, said Shaw. She is just returning from the theatre, and we called in here on our way to Camden Hill. As Audrey wore a long cloak over her dress, Bedora could not see that she was in walking costume and quite believed the story. Of course, she knew who Shaw was since that young gentleman had accompanied Miss Branwen on the morning when the death of the poor woman had been discovered. She, therefore, readily accepted the false explanation as a true one and invited the two into the shop while she went upstairs to Madame Coralie, who was, it appeared, working late in the still room at some newly invented lotion. In the perfumed and dimly lighted shop, the lovers waited. That girl does not suspect the truth, you see, whispered Ralph hurriedly. Thanks to your clever explanation, replied Audrey in the same low voice. But what am I to say when I stay here all night? Your aunt will invent an explanation. Don't trouble, here she is. Even as Shaw spoke, the heavy footfall of the woman was heard, and she came into the shop hurriedly. Her eyes, which were visible above the black silk of the yashmak, looked startled and anxious, although the rest of her face could not be seen. Evidently, and with very good reason, she was alarmed by this late and unexpected visit. Aunt Flora, began Audrey, and had only uttered the name when Madame Coralie pointed to Shaw with an alarmed gesture. "'Oh, that is all right,' went on the girl, rapidly. "'He knows all about it. "'I told you that I would tell him, don't you remember?' "'Yes,' said Madame Coralie in her harsh voice, "'and peering at the young man anxiously. "'I gave you permission to tell him. "'But mind you, hold your tongue, Mr. Shaw.' "'Then, without waiting for a reply, she turned to Audrey. "'What is the matter that you come here at this hour?' my father has turned me out of the house aunt flora and i come to you for shelter said audrey rapidly i've nowhere to go madame coralie clutched her yashmak and stamped her foot when she spoke her voice was almost inarticulate with rage do you mean to say that joseph has dared to turn you from your home at this hour yes and audrey assisted by shaw rapidly related all that had taken place although they both suppressed for obvious reasons any account of the suspicions they entertained on the evidence of perizade's keen sense of smell so you see ended the girl with a sob that unless you take me in i have no place to shelter my head my dear madame coralie made as though to catch her niece in her arms but checked herself abruptly of course you shall stay here as long as you like but badora told me you had come from the theatre My excuse for this midnight visit, said Ralph quickly, and now, madame, you must invent some reason for Audrey stopping here for the night. Oh, that is easy enough. She stepped back and looked at the slender figure of the girl, scarcely visible in the dim light. You are too thin, Miss Branwen, and you wish me to treat you. Will Badora accept that excuse? asked Audrey timidly. "'Yes,' said Madame, bluntly. "'She will accept any excuse that I like to give her. "'If she doesn't, she loses her situation. "'Don't trouble, Miss. "'Why don't you call me Audrey, Aunt Flora?' "'Because I don't want the relationship known,' said the woman promptly. "'It is just as well, therefore, that I should call you Miss Branwyn. "'But we can't stay talking here all night. "'Go away, Mr. Shaw, and don't come here again until I give you permission. "'But I want to see Audrey.' You can do so when she walks in Kensington Gardens as usual, replied Madame Coralie sharply. But if you come here, people will talk, and the quieter this business is kept, the better it will be for everyone. But if Papa talks, began Audrey, only to be cut short. Papa won't talk, said Madame Coralie in a hard, dry voice. He will have quite enough to occupy his mind in marrying Miss Rosie Pearl, that is, if he ever does marry the creature. Madame, Ralph started forward. What do you mean? "'Never mind, go away at once,' Madame unlocked the door. "'It is too late to chatter, and Miss Branwyn looks quite worn out.' Shaw admitted the truth of his speech, and after a farewell embrace, at which Madame Coralie looked beddingly, he took his leave. When the door was once more closed, Audrey followed her aunt up the stairs to the still-room, wherein the four assistants were working. "'You can all go to bed now,' said Madame Coralie, with a glance at the clock on the mantelpiece. So beady, she used her fingers at this point. You can go to bed. But Dora, Miss Berwin is staying here for the night. We spoke, when she saw me the other day, about treating her for the figure, as she is much too thin. She only made up her mind to come to night. See that the bedroom opposite. Number ten is made ready, Badura. Yes, madame, said Badoura, and whatever she may have thought of the young lady's unexpected decision to remain for the night, she certainly showed no astonishment in her face as she disappeared. The other three girls departed swiftly, evidently glad to get to bed, as they were tired with their work. Audrey and her aunt were left alone, and the girl would have spoken. No, said madame Coralie quickly, raising her hand. Don't speak, or you will faint. "'You are hardly strung, my dear, and this position is too much for you. "'Get a night's rest, and we can talk in the morning. "'But I must thank you, Aunt Flora, for your kindness.' "'My kindness,' said the other, bitterly, and her harsh voice took on a softer note. "'It is a kindness you are coming to me, to cheer me in my loneliness. "'I hope you will stay long. "'But you have your husband, Aunt Flora. "'Eddie, oh yes, but he does not sleep in this place.' I found him such a nuisance that I gave him money to take chambers. I see very little of him, as I found what a mistake I had made in marrying him. He cares nothing for me, but a great deal for what money I have. Don't speak of him before audrey could say anything more badoura returned with the information that the bedroom was ready madame coralie who seemed to be a singularly capable woman who knew her own mind at once insisted that her visitor should retire so it was that in a very short space of time audrey found herself in a comfortable bed for a few moments she mused on the strange chance that had brought her to sleep in the very house wherein her mother had been murdered Then the great fatigue she felt overcame her, and she fell into a profound slumber, which lasted until the morning, so deep it was that she did not even dream. At ten o'clock next morning she awoke, and found her aunt standing beside her with a cup of tea. Madame Coralie explained how she had looked in once or twice before, but that Audrey had been sleeping so quietly that she had not had the heart to waken her. Drink this tea and take another sleep. "'advised madame courantly, wisely, "'as the more you sleep after last night's experience, "'the better you will feel.' "'Audrey, who still felt languid, willingly consented. "'Madame went out quietly. "'She did not, however, through her absence of mind, "'quite close the door, "'and Audrey was therefore awakened some time later "'by the sound of two voices conversing softly. "'At once she remembered that the still room was opposite to the bedroom she occupied. Evidently, its door was open, and, as her own door was not closed, she could hear very plainly. Half awake and half asleep, she listened, not meaning to eavesdrop, but simply because she felt too tired to close the door or to give any evidence of her presence. The voices were those of a man and a woman, and Audrey recognized the latter one as that of Bedora, but who the man was she could not guess. You are very cruel, said Bedora, addressing her companion softly you are tired of me i am sure well you always worry me so said the man's voice gruffly i can't be always running after you you would not have said that once eddie replied badura and the name suddenly enlightened audrey to the fact that the foreign woman was conversing with madame coralie's scampish husband ashamed of listening even half involuntarily the girl what had risen to close the bedroom door when the next sentence of badura made her change her mind if you're going to throw me over, cried Bedura, passionately, I should tell all I know. What do you know? demanded Eddie with a sneer. There's nothing much you can tell my wife, if that is what you mean. She thinks that I'm all that is bad, my dear silly girl. And so you are, snapped Bedura sharply. But does she know that you put back the clock in the still room half an hour on the night, Lady Branwyn? It's a confounded lie, gasped Eddie Vale, interrupting. It's true, and you know it, said Bedura, triumphantly. I was behind the curtain with Parisade working when you came in about five minutes to eight o'clock. Parisade is blind and saw nothing, but I did. You put back the hand of the clock to seven thirty. What if I did? stammered Eddie, evidently trying to bluff the girl. What if you did? cried Bedura, shrilly. Why, it means that you were downstairs at the time Lady Branwyn was murdered. You stayed until the clock hand was again nearly at eight, and then your wife came up, so that you were able to prove an alibi. I said nothing because I loved you, but since you are going to treat me like dirt, I shall tell the police. You dare, and I'll kill you, said Bale between his teeth. As you killed Lady Branwyn, scoffed Bedura, who was in a towering rage. I didn't kill her. Yes, you did, and you stole the diamonds, and hush, there's madame. Then Audrey heard Badura quickly leaving the room and the sound of Eddie throwing himself into a chair. She gasped with horror. Was he the criminal after all? The question was a terrible one, but the answer seemed certain. End of chapter 17